You'll hear some encouraging stories from the front lines in these treacherous times. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Well, I hope you're ready to be encouraged today. I hope you're ready to be challenged in a positive way. I hope you're ready for some good news. There's enough bad news out there, enough problems, enough disastrous tragedies for a lifetime. And, you know, 2020, go away. That's how so many feel. It's, it's been a year of upheaval, and we're, we're just in August. There's still much ahead. But there's good that's happening in the midst of it. God working, people, God's people making a difference. So we want to encourage you from the front lines in America and around the world. I won't be taking calls right now if you want to call and hold with a question, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. And obviously keep praying for the people of Beirut, Lebanon. Absolutely devastating news. That the blast was happened right before the broadcast yesterday, but the more you look at it, and hundreds of thousands apparently homeless, many thousands injured, God knows how many dead right now. But Let's pray for God's merciful hand of intervention, something redemptive to come out of this horrific tragedy. All right. What does it look like on the ground? You live in the South. You have a multiracial church. You're white pastors with multiracial, multicultural leadership. In fact, you're the first really multicultural church in your city. And the riots, the protests, the BLM movement, everything hits. How do you respond? How do you respond as a church? How do you navigate these things? How can you get ahead of the narrative and and have God's mind and set an example for the community? I'm sitting with Todd and Rochelle Foster, pastors of the Well Church in Macomb, Mississippi. And, uh, or did I say Mississippi or... Yeah. Okay. Right. Got it. Yeah. I look at MS like Miss, Miss, Mississippi right. or Missouri. Um, <laughs> and, and they felt that they had to get out ahead of things and make a difference in their community. So they're in town for a couple of days. I said, well, you guys got to sit down and we got to talk about this on the air. So Todd and Rochelle, welcome to the line of fire. So glad to be here. Such yeah, an honor. For- Thanks for having us. Our, our joy to do so. And you're a regular podcast listener, right? I, I am a frequently podcast uh, all right. Absolutely. So you, you spread this one out to your congregation, yeah, that's right. right? That's right. All right. So, Todd, how is it that your church developed in this multiracial, multicultural way? You're from Louisiana originally. And Rochelle, where are you from originally? I'm from Mississippi. This is my hometown. Your yeah. hometown. All right. Well, let, let's start with you then. Yeah. Uh, how did this vision grow because you didn't want to be back in your hometown did you i really didn't honestly i was traveling teaching the word of god and i came home to my small town just for a season and the lord walking in obedience led me to minister to middle school kids and i was just obedient a little revival took off with about 150 middle school kids and from that the lord said you're to stay here and be a part of a movement and i i didn't even know todd at the time we i wrestled with god release me release me i want to be where there's more opportunity um there's more love the 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 racism had i felt gotten worse than better Mm. since i had been gone for 20 years but i i began to pray with the lord and he said you know you have to stand 
and I met Todd, you know, I had a real love for the Holy Spirit and the presence of God to change people's lives. He had a real love for racial reconciliation. Mm. And so our divine paths cross and I shared what God, I mean, I really, God showed me my city restored. I, I grew up not really even believing God spoke to people that way. And I had this really divine encounter that shifted my life. And then I met Todd and our passions collided and he moved to Mississippi with me. And we began, um, we wrestled with God (laughs) before we really set out, but we knew when we began to step and he began to step up and open doors that we'd heard. And then organically, uh, I think our passion began to awaken people because I think some of the church has just gotten so in tradition and mundane and it's lost the passion and the zeal for God. Mm. So, so Todd, moving into an area like that, what did the racism look like to you? Uh, like we had gone back in time, Dr. Brown. Um, I was, uh, Louisiana's a little more cultural, uh, especially in the South. And so moving there, I was like, oh my, we've gone back in time. Um, but yet at the same time, we did have a word from God. And we stood on that word and believed on that and and launched a church uh, in the old Budweiser distributing building uh, on the other side of the railroad tracks. And many people in the South know the railroad tracks are much a cultural divide. So here you are, a white couple now in a black community. (laughs) In a black community. Yes. How were you welcomed? We were we were really welcomed at first. Obviously, there was some. uh, I think there were a little. Uh, l- there was some people that were leery of us being there. Um, there was a little kickback at the beginning, but Dr. Brown, we had such a heart to serve our city, uh, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our city, uh, that we were actively on the streets early on. We were uh, random acts of kindness, many things we were doing in the community to help. We weren't just starting a church and asking you to come to our building. We were actually in your communities, uh, being involved in your kids' lives. So there was a lot of. Um, serving our city as well as planting a church. Mm. And, and, and Rochelle, working with middle school kids, then you're right there in the midst of the educational system. What was the inequality like that, that you witnessed there in the educational system in, in Macomb, Mississippi? Well, to be honest with you, I was at a private school. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I was at a private school helping out in the absence of a teacher last minute. And I had the liberty to teach the word because it was a Christian private school. And so this really started for me teaching uh for me teaching parables to predominantly white children. Mm-hmm. You right. know, that's uh, honestly it is it's still uh, embarrassed to say 20 years since I'd been gone, it didn't look a whole lot different than when I'd left. And so our, we have this one Christian school and then we have this public school that at the time was an F failing. The government was going to have to step in and save the school. So huge divide. And here we are with one group of kids experiencing revival while we're walking in areas to serve other children. Right. And it was, it was heart wrenching. And, um, like that this is, we had served in Honduras and I'm like, you know, like you can live in a city and drive past and not see. Mm-hmm. And I think it, you can even get comfortable living in places and not see what's really there. And so in our serving, my eyes got open to the, the depth of poverty and the depth of the, the divide in our city. And so we would take our kids and go serve community kids. And um, and we I think we learned that, you know, that you love people, you know, like people know if you're real 
mm-hmm. or if you're just trying to make a Facebook post. Yeah. And so as we begin to love, really, really love people, I believe it began to heal some of that divide. Mm. All right. So, so Todd, the church has grown uh, to what, about 1,200 people now? Uh, Pre-COVID, we were right at uh, 1,200. Okay. Incredible. All right. And you felt when things started to surface nationally and, and some of the race issues were exploding afresh, that you had to get ahead of the narrative and, and not just be reactionary to the world, but rather hear from God and do something that was spirit-led. So you actually led a march working with other black pastors in the city. What happened? It was unbelievable because I could remember watching the national news and being a small rural town where we're economically challenged. I was just like, there is no way we could afford the riots, the protesting, and the mm. and, and what we saw going on nationally. So we were just like, usually in a small town, it just takes a little while to get from the big city to the small town. So we just jumped ahead of the narrative. We knew there needed to be racial healing. We knew there needed to be um, some racial equality. And so we just began to reach out to African-American pastors, our city uh, councilmen, uh, political figures. And so we formed this little coalition East Macomb, we just kind of formed this little coalition and began to just, um, we called it a march for racial equality, a march for racial healing, uh, a a march for um, just coming together. It was a beautiful night. Um, uh, there was no violence. There was a lot of unity. We had worship music. Uh, we, we, we had a lot of prayer. We had a lot, we, we had a lot of involvement in our community and we walked across the bridge that came across our railroad tracks. We called it crossing the bridge, a march for racial equality. And I believe God did something prophetically in our city that night, Dr. Brown. I believe there was some healing that took place. We've since had another, I was a part of another panel of four black pastors and four white pastors. So there's now been begun to begin some communication and some unity and some things that are happening even in the rural south uh, that can bring about healing and can bring about the unity in the spirit of the body of Christ that sometimes in these small towns as as Roe said you can live in these small towns and look but not see mm-hmm. so Rochelle what's what's the vision that God gave you what do you believe is supposed to happen in Macomb and in your church so the the lord showed me that there were four spirits that were hovering over our city one being religion racism poverty and oppression and that the the move of god the spirit of god would rest on our city in a way that it would be broken and that in turn our city would begin to flourish and and we're a very poor city i think our median income is like twenty four thousand. we have a tremendous amount of government housing per capita one of the leading cities in the state so no job opportunities and and in the vision i mean i literally had a vision from god uh the city was restored and thriving and there was community there was peace and People were traveling in from seven different states to experience the presence of God. Now, I had this vision, and then I shared it, and someone said this was prophetically spoken over our area by Dutch Sheets. And I began to go through his sermons and try to find the words, and it did. So what I saw, a city restored and was thriving, and people were coming in to learn uh, how— experience the presence of God, but also to learn. Like, I felt like we became a revival center. Mm. And so, you know, it's just interesting how, like, we go, we just step out on a vision, and God has opened 
incredible doors. We just kind of laid everything on the line with our church. We didn't even have money. <laughs> it was right. like, God, we're, we're believing you. And he has opened up door after door. And come Jan- January, I mean, the, we would have people travel in saying, we have not felt the move of God like this since Brownsville. Really? We have not felt the spirit of God rest somewhere like Brownsville. So I think for us, this the COVID, we're trying to adjust life right now, but we've had to grieve a little bit the momentum that in a city where you could come in and see people of all color and all ages and races and demographics worshiping God together. It was so beautiful, especially in a city least expected. Yeah, my own feeling is, is that something's ready to break all over America. Amen. And where there's hunger, where there's thirst, where there's determination, we have to get hold of God. We have to see a breakthrough no matter what. Amen. God's going to move. So whatever was building, it, it may feel like a step back right now, but, but I believe you'll be able to recover and see something amazing happening. All right, friends, I've, I've got some questions I want to ask our guests blind spots that we might have because of background upbringing and then how to overcome these things in the spirit. We'll be right back with Todd and Rochelle Foster. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us, friends, on the Line of Fire. We appreciate your solidarity, your support, your prayers. If you believe in what we're doing, to stand with us on the Ask Director Brown Facebook page, there's a donate button. You can click on that. Or in the YouTube chat, if you're watching Ask Director Brown channel, there's a dollar sign. You can click on that, or you can go to our website, askdrbrown.org. I, I wish I had some hours. I've only got a few more minutes with Todd and Rochelle Foster, and they're going to be flying back out uh, right after this show. But uh, I've done my best with our listening and viewing audience to dive into the difficult, controversial situations of the day and to have honest conversation. And for us to be able to tell us candidly, I think you're missing this, or I, I think at a blind spot here. And we had lots of conversation uh, with our callers during the, the trial of George Zimmerman for the death of, of Trayvon's, uh, Trayvon Martin. And one of the things, we talked endlessly about racial issues in America. And I, 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 I made a statement that could sound offensive to everybody, but I think you'll find some truth in that whites... White Americans often don't see racism when it is there because of our perspective, background, upbringing, whatever. Black Americans often see racism when it isn't there. In other words, they've been exposed to it so many times that they'll see it when it isn't there, and whites won't see it when it is. So we can have these blind spots. So, Todd, you coming into the midst of this situation in McComb, now a, a, a more difficult, racially divided city than you've been in before, but with a heart for racial reconciliation, what would you say are some of the key things you've had to learn or white congregants have had to learn? And then conversely, because you have black elders and co-leaders with you, what would you say has been learned on the, on the, the black Christian side of things? Uh, that's an excellent question. I, I think for me, I, I, I've had to um, learn to lean in and to listen. Um, yep. I, I played college basketball. I've been the minority in the locker room. I had some life experiences that birthed 
some of those listening skills. Uh, I had a black roommate in college. And so there's, I've had some life experiences that helped me, that catapulted me. But then when this thing kind of went down this spring, uh, the George Floyd and after all that, after I really had to lean in to say, first of all, ask the Lord, Lord, is there really still some blind spots in me? Yeah. There's some things I just don't see about yeah. me. And then I, we intentionally made a commitment to not just worship together on Sunday. I think this is so important, Dr. Brown, but let's live together Monday through Saturday. Yeah, Let, let's yeah. really make an effort to do life together. I find those conversations easier to have, mm-hmm. the awkwardness of them, yeah, to lean yeah. in as a white pastor who's coming into a, a community and, and beginning to reach uh, the African-American community, the black community, and they're coming into our church and uh, there's skepticism. Uh, th- there's already a, a, a white savior that we saw sometimes here in the South. And so to overcome that, I just really leaned in. I want to listen to you. Talk to me. And I found out that when you start really listening to people, that bridge is not as far as we think it is. I want to speak hope to listeners today. That bridge is not a far. The unity of the Spirit, the, the Holy Spirit on the inside of us is the great unifier as believers. And when you begin to lean in and listen and learn, yeah. to begin to learn, like really come to the conversation yeah. saying, hey, I want to learn. Like, give me your life experience. Yes. Tell me some of your stories. And Ro and I have listened to some of our elders and some of our pastors tell life experiences where they've been stopped on the side of the road by a law enforcement officer in the middle of the night that it's a blind spot to me. Yeah, look, I, I have black friends of mine that own nice cars and they're driving in a, in a nice neighborhood and they get stopped because why are you here? Exactly. Why are you a black person in this white neighborhood? I've never had something like that happen. You know, they're not going to stop me in the white neighborhood. Right. So when you listen, when you hear these experiences, it's eye opening. So I, I assume I got a bunch of blind spots and I, I want to be a lifelong learner in that regard. Would you say that that you found maybe with some of the black congregants a distrust or what would you say is something that came to surface as you've had your conversations both ways? I would say that it's been really important for Rochelle and I to be intentional on Monday through Saturday. I think the Sunday morning worship expression where you come together organically comes after a life that you commit to live with one another, which means dinner together, having people to your house. I think if you're going to do multi-ethnic ministry, You've got to do more than Sunday morning or when it's just church-related ministry. There's really got to be an intention to living together, being involved in activities together, having one another to each other's house to live. I know Ro and I can say we've gone to many of our the black people in our church. We eat at their house. They come to our house and eat. We're at their kids' games. They're at our kids' games. You know, it's that light. I think there has to be some intentionality there with that. Yeah, and, and again, the— the emphasis on family, community. Amen. That's uh, it. W- one of my friends, a, a white Italian pastor in Long Island, got together with uh, some black pastors and Hispanic pastors. So they had a discussion about what's the most important value when you get together. And the white pastor's consensus was bottom line. Just give me the bottom line. What's this about? You know, purpose, bottom line. Then the black pastor said honor. It's about honoring and and I, I told my assistant one time, we were, I was speaking at a black church in my community, I said, just watch how many times the word honor comes up in the service. <clears throat> I was honored like six different times for being there, and they wanted to honor this group and that group and this mm-hmm. day and that day. And it was something 
very, I made sure when I got up, I talked about the honor of being there. But it's not the way I'd normally think. Different culture. The Hispanic pastors like, let's have a party. You know, they were all right. smiling and laughing about it. But all that to say, I might think I'm doing community really well. And someone's like, community? This is not community. This is not family. This is not relationships. So it's got to be lived out. 100% That's so right. So good. All right, Rochelle, we've just got a, a few minutes, but when you're talking about demonic strongholds, powers, how do you fight this spiritually? It's one thing to build relationships. It's one thing to serve one another. But how do you fight spiritual demonic strongholds that have been in place in areas for, in some cases, centuries? What do we do as the church? Well, that's a great question. And I think, first of all, we pray. I think God is really moving us in this hour to to get back to the basics of the power of prayer and partnership with God, not just praying um, at, at night and over meals, but praying over high places in our city or things that areas we know that have been erected or exalted that were not godly. Um, we at our church, we came up with uh, four core value statements. Like if we're going to fight the stronghold of religion, we're going to do it with an experience of God. What, what is the stronghold of religion? What does well, that mean? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I would say it is the, the spirit of the Pharisee that keeps us from really walking in the fullness of what Jesus came to give us all as believers. Like okay. we're tied more to the law than we are to the relationship with Jesus. And so we would say, you know, sometimes even even in the, in the days of Jesus, these people that should have known him and saw him first denied him completely. Yeah. And so really getting people to ex- have an encounter and experience with God that would awaken them to more of God. So that's one of our core values in our worship experience. And when we pray, when we come together, that there's an atmosphere where not only you read about God, but you, ex- you feel the presence of God. Um, that's one of our core values. Uh, coming against racism was to love people. So we're, we can't have hate if you're full of love. And so we're going to cross the line and we're going to love people well. We're going to love people when they don't love us back. We're going to be a be a voice of hope, you know, um, which was releasing hope against the spirit of poverty because poverty is not just about money. It's a mindset. And so we wanted to be a voice of hope when we served and we gave encouragement through our messages. So we just had some strategy around these four strongholds. Prayer obviously was at the core of it. We're going to, we're going to be intentional about prayer, uh, but we're also going to have some strategy about creating experiences uh, where people get to experience God, maybe a way they never have. Mm. Right, so, so there is a spiritual intentionality in yes. all of this. It's, it's not just going to happen on its own. That's it. Um, Todd, just take one minute sure. and, and speak what's on your heart to other pastors and leaders that are listening and watching. Now, what, what would you say to them in terms of a word of encouragement in these really challenging times? I, I just want to say that most of us are all experiencing a lot less people returning at this moment right now. But I believe, Dr. Brown, like you, I believe that we're going to see a move of God. We're going to see the presence of God. I believe we're going to see the manifestation of the miracles of God like we've never seen before. I think it can be the church's finest hour. I believe that that he's got the team. I'm a coach. And so I believe he's got a good his best team on the field at one of the most difficult times i believe it's winning time and i believe we're so i'm so honored and blessed to serve southwest mississippi and i believe to pastors listen pray seek the lord 
do not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season you're going to reap. And when we see that, I believe we're going to see God move like we've never seen before. Yeah. And listen, if, if you asked me a year ago how much hunger and desperation I saw in churches in America, it was, it was fairly minor. It was, Amen. It, it was only little pockets here and there. Towards the end of last year, I, I began to see something growing. Before the virus, it just I, I began to see something growing, increasing, and then more and more desperation. And now I'm hearing more and more places in America where the, the hunger is deeper. Before the virus, where I was going out preaching, more and more leaders saying, Dr. Brown, could you speak on revival? Amen. Or, and, and the service is going longer and people crying out to God and meeting with him. And uh, what you're saying, I've, I've heard from a couple other national leaders in the last couple days, that sense of something ready to burst. So friends, wherever you are individually, corporately, let's go after God like never before. The, the stakes are high. And friends, Amen. to find out about the church, go to thewellmacomb, M-C-C-O-M-B.com, thewellmacomb.com. Todd, Michelle, great getting to meet you, and thanks for being with our listeners and viewers today. Thanks so Thank much. Thank you, Dr. Brown. All right, friends, we come back. We've got some good news, encouraging news from overseas. Stay right here. of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us, friends, on the line of fire. We want to encourage you today. We want to encourage you with people on the front lines making a difference. I want to speak with a guest working overseas with the Slavic Gospel Association, former Soviet Union, Russia, partnering with hundreds of missionaries, thousands of churches, because the COVID-19 pandemic is affecting people around the world. The horrific blast in Beirut yesterday, not only did the damage it did in itself, horrific, massive, devastating damage, but also, along with that, it's in the midst of COVID-19, which ups the crisis all the more. So I want to give you some words of encouragement from the front lines, and then after I speak with my guests, we'll take some calls. Any questions you want to ask me about 866-34-TRUTH. Michael Johnson, president of the Slavic Gospel Association, nearly 90-year-old ministry. As I said, partners with hundreds of missionaries and more than 6,000 evangelical churches across Russia and the former Soviet Union. Michael, thanks so much for joining us on the Line of Fire today. Thank you very much, Michael. It's great to be here. Uh, how do you get connected with the SGA? Well, the Slavic Gospel, you can connect with our, our, through our website, uh, sga.org, and specifically as it relates to this project, it would be sga.org slash COVID. Now, you yourself, uh, are, are you Russian Slavic background? No, I'm not. I'm Swedish. All right. So how did you get involved with SGA? Well, uh, for me, by the way, I, I, I looked at your bio, and you and I are the same age, my friend. Okay. And, um, and you and I, you got saved during the Jesus Movement, as did I in California back in the uh, early 70s. Long hair hippie? And I was, yeah. Okay. A, a, biker <laughs> led me to, a biker led me to the Lord. Oh, and, come on. Um, <laughs> absolutely. 
And um, so I attended uh, I attended Bible school for a couple of years and then got out of school. I ended up as a as a advertising executive in New York City for many years. And um, a man came along and uh, spoke at our church in Brooklyn, and uh, I ended up taking a short-term missions trip to Albania in the 90s. And one thing led to another, and back in the mid-90s, <clears throat> I was recruited to this ministry as a vice president of advancement. So I helped to sort of lay the groundwork for the strategy that we're involved in today. I left for 13 years, and then in, in uh, May of 2017, when the president retired, they brought me back in as the president. So I've been here for... Um, um, uh, for about three and a half years. Amazing. All right, so... It is amazing. Yeah, I mean, God's plans and, and God's... I get saved in an Italian Pentecostal church, right? You know, yeah. God God has his ways, so... Yeah, I, by the way, I, I watched your testimony on the One for Israel site. Uh, it was uh, it was very interesting and very exciting. To see. Oh, yeah, God, uh, the stories that came out of that period of time, extraordinary. I mean, the hand of God, oh, yeah. supernaturally around the world. So what's happening on the ground? What are you seeing? Share some, some good news, some testimonies firsthand of, of, of what SGA is doing and bringing the gospel and practical help in the, in the midst of this pandemic. Well, I'm going to share some great news about what's happening over there. The first thing I want to quote, I just recently came across a Pew study that was done uh, that measures, ongoing measures, the um, importance of God in people's lives across uh, different countries. And specifically, they looked, they looked at Europe. And from 1991 to 2019, um, importance of God among city, uh, countries like Spain and Italy. Spain was down 26 percentage points. Italy was down 21 percentage points. On the other end of the spectrum, Ukraine up 12 percentage points. Russia with the great, with the highest uh, growth out of all the countries up 16 percentage points. So it's clear that you know over over the last number of years, uh, you know since the wall came down, more and more people are interested in spiritual things uh, in the countries that we serve, and that was taking place. And then and then COVID hit, and I believe that this situation represents the greatest opportunity for the proclamation of the gospel across those countries mm. since the fall of communism. And and not only do I agree with, uh, do I believe that the churches over there believe that as well. Uh, because they know that when those when the wall came down, that uh, God opened those countries up so that the people in those countries could hear the word of God. And so, in this situation, as we all know, people around the world are questioning their you know their their security. They're questioning you know what their life is about. They're uncertain about the future. Um, they're they're afraid. I mean, if we walk into a, the Walmart, we Walmart uh, next week, we catch the virus, we're dead in two weeks. Where are we going to spend eternity? So people are mm. asking themselves those questions. In those countries, since uh, the economies are so fragile. And in Russia in particular, it's prime, the economy is based upon the price of fuel oil. And recently, that market collapsed. People are really struggling. Wow. They're losing their jobs. They're losing their homes. They have, no, they have no access to funds to support themselves. They don't have the safety net that we have here. Okay? So what we did was seeing what was going on, and again, we're connected to roughly 6,350 churches across 10 countries of the former Soviet Union. And we have infrastructure to get resources out to any part of those countries, representing a population of roughly 280 million people. We initially orchestrated a worldwide call to prayer. We call Christ over COVID, much prayer, much power. We have thousands of people praying over that situation on an ongoing basis. You can sign up to our website and get the, you know, the stories that are coming in and join us in that, in that endeavor. And then the, what, we all, the, what we also did was 
we connected with the churches over there, uh, developed a network within those 6,000 churches, and we're distributing funds all across those countries. They're taking those funds, purchasing the food locally, uh, putting together in food packages, and they're aware of the people in need in their communities. They contact the local government. They get the list of the people, and then they're just out uh, knocking on doors and ministering to people both in word and deed. And I want to tell you something. We are getting stories on an ongoing basis of people, many, many people who are coming to faith in Christ as a result of the love of Christ that these Christians are sharing them. Because in many of those smaller towns and villages, the only people that are helping are the local churches. Give me a specific. Tell, tell me a specific story. Well, okay, so um, we, we, get, we get stories in sort of on a regular basis. Let's see. Um, we do a lot of work down in the war zone. People are desperate down there. I mean, th- those areas in eastern Ukraine are already falling. I mean, the infrastructure has just been destroyed, and this is just making it worse. So Lyra, 38 years old, um, she's, she's got two children, five and six years old. Um, she lost her job. She has no means of income, and she had to resort to prostitution in order to support her kids. Mm. She connected with the local churches. Uh, they brought her in. They shared Christ with her. She's now attending church on a regular basis. The kids are in Sunday school, and um, and um, you know, and she's repented of her sins, and, and she's walking with God now. Um, we had another situation where an older man, Mikhail, um, his wife is a believer, and uh, she's prayed for him uh, for him their entire marriage. He hasn't come to faith in Christ. Uh, he experienced uh, disease and where he lost a leg. And he had lost hope. He was on the verge of suicide. The local church came in uh, in the last few weeks. Uh, they connected him with food. Uh, they shared the gospel with him. And um, he got on his knees, repented of his sin, came to saving faith in Christ. And shortly after that, the Lord took him. And we know where he is. He's in paradise now. And mm. it was an incredible answer to prayer. Uh, in Moscow, uh, we support a church, um, the, the Russian Bible Church. It's one of the few churches that is really connecting with younger people, professionals, uh, families. And, um, you know, when, when, when COVID hit, the whole city was locked down, and people were just stuck in their apartments. And, um, and so they opened it up, and they have these Zoom Bible study evangelism, evangelism sessions and also counseling sessions. And hundreds of, of non-believers are connected to those Bible studies. Many people have made a profession of faith, and there was a long line of people waiting for that church to reopen so that they can go there and get baptized. Praise God. So, praise and, God is right. I mean, God is working in a mighty way throughout all of those countries. And, you know, I'm, I'm just looking at, at some testimonies I was sent, one about a, a Russian soldier who once mocked and ridiculed Christians, and basically it was, yeah. it was Christians reaching out to him with practical help that changed his heart. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, because, again, the churches are really, in many of those areas, they're the only ones that are really helping. And they see the law, and the church is being lifted up in those countries in a mighty way uh, because, of their, because of their works of mercy. And, and again, people, are, people are, are recognizing, you know, what a true Christian is. And just like me, when I met my friend Danny Murphy, the biker, you know, had long hair, <laughs> wrote a chop, chopped out Harley Davidson. And, but, you know, we were talking one day, and, and he said to me, so what are you doing tonight? I said, I'll probably go home and drink some beer or something. I said, what are you doing? He goes, yeah, my wife and I go to choir practice. And I said, <laughs> choir, oh, really? the I said, biker go to choir, choir practice. practice. Yeah, he go choir practice. And, he, and, I, and, I, and I said, well, what do you mean? He said, yeah, we go to church every Sunday. And I thought, you know. 
I grew up in Connecticut, and I grew up in the same church that Jonathan Edwards grew up in. I was I was confirmed in that church and everything, and I said, well, so am I. He goes, no, you're not. So he invited me to a Bible study when I heard the gospel for the first time, you know. Amazing. And, um, and you never know. You never know where, when it's going to come. But let me ask you this. Yeah, let me ask you this last question. We've we just got a couple of minutes. Do you sense in these churches in Russia and the former Soviet Union that there could be a a genuine revival, an outpouring. Again, you and I were saved during a time of unusual outpouring of the Spirit, the late 60s, early 70s, the Jesus People Movement. Do you sense that that something could really be afoot in these churches? Yes, I do. I really do. I mean, the wall came down, everybody went over there, and everybody ministered. Most of those people are gone. And we've been working, training these, helping to train the pastors, um, helping to financially support them, to send them out, and um, we we have we just see they have tremendous zeal. Uh, this, these churches are being built upon a foundation of great persecution and martyrdom, and they are extremely dedicated. and And I believe that you know, it, it's almost like I don't want to say it in a. It's almost like a perfect storm of situations where God is working in mighty ways across those countries. So, whether we call it a revival or an enlightenment or whatever, something is happening. God is Something's moving happening. in mighty ways. Praise God. And, and Michael, where do folks go again if they want to participate in this project? Uh, it's sga.org slash COVID. All right. SGA slash, excuse me, sga.org slash COVID. Michael? COVID. Yep. Great to meet a fellow believer saved out of the yeah. Jesus People Movement, former hippie, and uh, so thrilled <laughs> to see where God's placed you in, in these great testimonies. I appreciate you joining us today. Thank you. Thank you very much. It was great to be on your show. All right, so friends, it's Christ over COVID. That's the information. Now, when I was asked about, about having Michael on to share some testimonies, I thought, yeah, let's hear some good news. Let's hear some encouragement. And, and what a reminder. Thank God for the churches in America on the front lines making a difference. People listen to good works. People listen to love. People listen. When, when you love your neighbor, They'll see it, they'll know it, they'll feel it. Let's bring hope to a hurting world. All right, phone lines are open, 866-348-7884. Any questions you want to ask? I noticed some questions on Facebook, YouTube. Give us a call, 866-34-TRUTH. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us. You know, I've, I've said for years that if you cut us, we should bleed love. And... We're going to go to the phones in a moment, 866-34-TRUTH. But I've had conversations with people where ideologically we are worlds apart. Ideologically, I mean, it is absolutely, well, worlds apart. That's the simplest way to describe it. But as we've talked, there's been a recognition of an open heart. There's been a recognition of love and care as, as one out and proud gay man once told me after a long talk on the plane, I asked him if, if he met someone that held to my views, would he consider that person you know, homophobic, bigoted? And he said, absolutely, yes. 
I said, do you consider me homophobic bigot? He goes, no, I've heard your heart. He goes, great to meet a conservative with a heart. You know, sitting down, talking to people, and then reaching out, and then practical acts of kindness, it's not a setup. If, if you go feed the poor in your community or help the hurting in your community, it's not a setup. I'm going to set you up to hear the gospel. It's an extension of the gospel. It's love because the, the gospel is God's heart of love for a, a lost world. So it's not, I'm going to feed you to set you up to hear a message. You know, the feeding you is part of the message that I, I care about you as a fellow human being, and I want to help you in your, your time of need and, and pain. And, and then in the midst of that, the, the message is part of who we are. So, amen, let's continue to do what we can. Pastors, leaders, so many challenges you're facing now, but as you and your congregation get active in your community, it's, it's going to bear lasting fruit. All right, let's go to the phones. Sarah in Ozone Park, New York. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Thank you very much, Dr. Brown. I really appreciate you taking my call. Sure thing. Um, my question is on Matthew twenty-four thirty-four, where Jesus has explained signs of the end times, some signs, and then he says, this generation shall not pass until they see all these things. So how is that interpreted? Yeah, so there, there are several different possible ways to understand that, Sarah. Some have argued that the word generation really means race, and it's talking about the Jewish people, but that, that's a stretch, so let's, let's put that one aside. Some have argued that it's referring to the destruction of the first temple, that Jesus is telling his disciples standing there that this generation, in which your generation, will not pass away until all these things have happened, namely the destruction of the second temple that, that took place in the year 70. The problem is there seem to be verses that refer to the second coming in this, in this context. So there, there are some folks who have come to the wrong conclusion that the second coming happened with the destruction of the temple. It's clearly not what Jesus is saying. Another way of reading it is he is now giving signs of the end of the age. Matthew 24 is answering the threefold question of the disciples. When will the temple be destroyed? When will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? All right? So Jesus is answering questions that are actually two separate things, the destruction of the second temple in the year 70 and his second coming at the end of the age. But he's answering the two together, and they're, they're interwoven. So he's talking to them about things that they will see, and then he's talking about the end of the age and therefore saying the generation that sees these particular things that will happen at the end of the age, that you, you won't pass away until it all comes to pass. You, you see the first part, you're going to see the rest of it, all right? Uh, some have tried to put other constructions on the word this generation. They're not compelling to me. But there's another possible way to understand this, and I don't think it has a lot of scholarly support. It's something that I've toyed with and wondered about, but I don't think it has a lot of scholarly support. Namely, that there's a twofold reference, that he's speaking of two events, the destruction of the temple and his second coming in the end of the age. Uh, Luke 20, if you read Luke 21, it kind of separates them more clearly than Matthew 24 and Mark 13, which weave them together more. Luke 21 has more of a separation of, of the two things. But he could be speaking to two audiences at the same time. This generation that sees these particular signs happen before the destruction of the second temple, 
you see this part, you're going to see the rest. You're going to see the temple destroyed. The second group, now at the end of the age, you see these various things happen. You will see the Lord return. Again, doesn't have a lot of scholarly support, but that would be another way to, to read it. But for sure, it's not saying that the second coming happened in the year 70 A.D. That would violate many, many other scriptures. So either just talking about awesome. what happened with the second temple being destroyed, all right, and, and that's already passed, or just talking about future events. So, Sarah, I'm getting a little feedback from your phone, so you're, you're not able to speak, but hopefully that answered your questions there. And if you have further questions, you can always call back or shoot a note to our website uh, with, uh, with your question. All right, thank you for the call, 866-34-TRUTH. Hey, Scott, thank you for your contribution on Facebook. Much appreciated, sir. Uh, let's go to Honolulu. Ashley, welcome to the line of fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. It's so great to talk to you. Um, just so we don't waste time, I'll get straight to my question. Um, so I'm just wondering, who do you see the 24 elders being? Because if I read, you know, Revelation 4, 4, 4, 10, and 5, 9, and 10, could it possibly be that they represent the church, a rapture, a pre-trib rapture church? Oh, cer- certainly not, and I'll, I'll tell you why I say that in a moment. Uh, in terms of representing, representing, because there are 24 of them, uh, that would signify to me the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. We know in the book of Revelation at the end that the New Jerusalem will have 12 foundation stones with the names of the 12 apostles and 12 gates of the city with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. So you have 12 and 12 there. So that's what it represents, who they actually are. I don't know, but that's, that's who it would represent. But no, f- first, we have believers right on the earth in the thick of wrath being poured out. You know, for example, Revelation, the ninth chapter, they're, they're shielded from, from the plagues. Um, that's, that's the first thing. The second thing, Jesus has already told us in John 16, 33, in this world you'll have tribulation. In John 17, He's already prayed that the Father will not take, speaking first to the apostles, take us out of the world, but will rather keep us in this world from the evil one. Uh, Revelation, the first chapter, the ninth verse, John says, I'm your companion in the midst of the kingdom and tribulation. Uh, Paul writes in, in, in Acts, the 14th chapter, Paul says there that we must, through many tribulations, enter uh, the kingdom of God. So we'll be here right through whatever happens in terms of tribulation, will be shielded from God's wrath, but we will be here. People will be martyred through it. And those martyrs are spoken of in Revelation 7, coming out of, of great tribulation. Uh, but we're here right until the end. Second Thessalonians 1 says that we'll receive relief when Jesus comes taking vengeance on those who don't know God. So we receive relief when he comes in flaming fire. And as I understand it, he appears for the whole world to see. We are caught up to meet him so that dead in Messiah rise first. We ascend together with them. We meet the Messiah in the air, and he comes and establishes his kingdom on the earth. So the whole world sees us caught up, glorified with him as he descends. And remember, we're not waiting for a secret event. We're waiting for his appearing. And his appearing will happen, Matthew 24, after the tribulation of those days. That's when his appearing takes place. So for many reasons, I wouldn't see it as, as hint of a, of a pre-trib rapture or, or Revelation 4.1, come up here, 
as if that's a, a hint of a pre-trib rapture. So, you know, I held to that the first five years I was saved, but not, not the last 44 since. And do you have do you have the book that Craig Keener and I wrote, Not Afraid of the Antichrist, Why We Don't Believe in a Pre-trib Rapture? No, I rapture? don't, but I've heard you speak of it. Yeah, so if, if you want to dig in, and listen, we some of my best friends are pre-tribbers. You know, this is, and, and they're folks that I've worked with for years and years and years, decades, and I don't even know where they stand on it. So I'm definitely not a pre-tribber, but you may find that book interesting, Not Afraid of the Antichrist, written by Craig Keener and me. But even if you don't agree with the conclusions, you'll find it very edifying because it's a book of overcoming. It's a book of encouragement. It's a, a, a book written to, to strengthen us and, and encourage us in the midst of the storm. Thank you for the call. Okay, so right before the broadcast, I was talking to guests that I had on in, in the, the first half hour, Todd and Michelle Foster and uh, a colleague, David Benham, been on the air. He and his brother, Jason, been on the air with us a bunch of times and talking about the danger of an escapist mentality. So putting aside Ashley's call, which was just a theological call, great question from the book of Revelation. What I want to speak to is not the preacher rapture issue. You, you study the scripture, you come to your conclusions. I want to speak to a mentality of escapism, which is terribly dangerous. A mentality of escapism that says before it gets really bad, we'll be out of here. Well, for, for Christians who have been tortured to death, burned alive, buried alive, imprisoned for life, they didn't get out of here before it got really bad. The people in Beirut, in the midst of that absolutely horrific blast yesterday, they didn't get out of here. And I'm sure there are Christians among them. There must have been Christians among them. They didn't get out of here before things got really bad. And on and on the list goes. Better have the attitude, no matter what comes our way, even when the whole earth is shaken, the righteous will never be shaken. Better have the attitude that in Jesus we overcome, whether by life or by death. Better to have the attitude that nothing, not even tribulation, isn't that what Paul puts at the top of the list, can separate us from the love of God in Messiah Jesus our Lord. Hey, friends, I've got a, a very intense, serious article about explosion in Lebanon yesterday and reflections on the end of the world. Check it out. It's on stream.org. And join me tomorrow for Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. God bless you.